and you already know that you are talking about a better resurrection. Everybody have a study sheet, or do you need Brother Richard to bring one to you? You should have a student hand, handout. Better resurrection. Raise your hand if you need one. You need two up here, three up here, four up here. The front row needs them. Um, last week, your your um, or our scripture reference is Hebrews eleven thirty five. I do. Am I not coming in? Yes. Can you hear me? One, two, three. Testing. One, two, three. It's just some. Some can't. Some do. Um, okay. Our our theme scripture for the month is Hebrews eleven thirty five. And that reads, women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured. That doesn't sound so good to me. But anyway, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Yes, suffer. Um, and last week you we discussed, Pastor taught about um, to sit with Christ in heavenly places. To me, it was a very exciting study. Hopefully, you were here. If you miss any of the Bible studies, you can go out on the church website and listen to the audio, or you can go out if you're on Facebook. They're all saved out there in the listing. So go back and get them. And don't miss out on part of it, or you can order a CD. So get it. And um, but He talked about no condemnation, the abundant life, hope, um, and peace. He did not get to his throne, his kingdom, the holy city. I am not going to pick up where he left off. We're going to go on and talk about to walk in newness of life. And then pastor may or may not pick up where he left off. We'll leave that up to him. So tonight we're going to talk about to walk in newness of life, a better resurrection, to walk in newness of life. Romans 6, verses one through four. What shall we say then? This scripture is not unfamiliar to us. For those that were here this summer in July, we've already studied this in depth. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. What shall, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. To me, this is one of the most exciting scriptures. We have a chance at a whole new life. We heard over and over and over again in the month of July, if you're dead, you're dead. Dead people don't sin. The old man died. You came up out of the waters of baptism and you have an opportunity for a new 
life. We studied it thoroughly in July. The better resurrection gives us the opportunity for a better life, a new life. We are born again. It enables us to walk in a new life. It enables us. That's a big new buzzword in the past however many years. Enable. We enable people. Well, the Holy Ghost enables you. We don't have any excuse to not live the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. We go on to perfection. People say, well, no one can be perfect. Yes, yes, you can be. If you couldn't be, you would not be commanded to be. Perfection means maturity. Grow up in Christ. I used to tell my kids, grow up. Got one chuckle, one and a half. So what is newness of life? What is life? It is defined as the condition that distinguishes animals and plants from inorganic matter. Your piece of paper has no life. It can do nothing on its own. Your car has no life. It can do nothing on its own. It can only speed if you put gas in it, start it up, and rev the engine. It has no life of its own, including the capacity for growth, reproduction, functional activity, and continual change preceding death. The period between death, birth and death of living, of a living thing, especially of a human being. Vitality, vigor, and energy. So what's newness? Newness is the quality of being new or original. So to me, I'm teaching, so I get to put my own spin on this. Newness of life is the quality of being original. It's having vitality, vigor, energy between birth and death. I became original, peculiar, when I became born again. I was just status quo before I was born again. I just fit the mold before. Now I am peculiar. I am an original. So, to walk in newness of life, I'm going to try to go really fast because there was lots and lots and lots of points that Pastor had in this one little section. And I'm like, oh my. Wow. I'm supposed to let you go home by 8 o'clock. Wow. PM, not AM. Wow. Wow. Snacks are already packed up and Brother Richard took the coffee away. Okay. So, newness of life is a life of holiness. 2 Corinthians 7.1 Having therefore these promises, We have such rich promises in God. Wow. Dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness 
in the fear of God. I've got such rich promises from God. I was driving down Losey Boulevard yesterday. No, it was this morning, actually, on my way to Bible study. So 7-11 this morning. And I prayed, God, create in me a clean heart again. Renew in me, Lord Jesus, a better spirit. Because it's only then, God, that I can teach transgressors the way. Oh, God, do a deeper work in my life. Oh, Jesus, please. Unless I am cleansed, unless I get rid of all filthiness of the flesh, unless I get rid of all filthiness of the spirit, I cannot walk in newness of life. I will be weighed down. I can't run the race if I'm weighed down. I won't have the vitality. I won't have the vigor. I won't have the energy that God wants me to have. I'll be sluggish. My spiritual energy will be zapped by the filthiness of this world. I have to be holy. I have to be robed in his rightness. I know the scripture says his righteousness. But righteousness is rightness. I have to be like Christ. Perfecting holiness. I have to move on to completeness, maturity in Christ. I can't walk on that little tightrope edge and say, well, you know, I'm good enough. I have to be complete in him. I cannot or should not be content to remain what I was or even a near semblance of what I once was. I must press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I am never good enough. But thank God I'm getting closer. Our reason for desiring to be holy is so simple. It's not a complicated matter. 1 Peter 1:16 says, "Because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy." Simple. I want to be like him. He's holy. I want to have his character. I want to have what he desires be what I desire. I want to be a reflection of him to other people. I want his attitude to be my attitude. Oof. Some days I have a long ways to go on that one. The other reason is because Hebrews 12:14, follow peace with all men and holiness because without holiness I am not going to see the Lord. We make a big thing out of the peace. 
But without holiness, I will not see God. Now, I'm not going to see him up there, but I'm not going to see him here either. I'm not going to have him in my life. I'm not going to have the day-to-day communion with him because he will not dwell where there's filth. He won't come where there's unrighteousness. Now when a sinner repents, he's right there. Whoop, he comes. But if I know him and I know better, I'm walking on real thin ice then. And I'm out there on my own. I will not see the Lord. Without holiness, I will not see the Lord. I'm not making it up. It's the Word. I want to see Him. Every day. Every minute. I want to know that when I open my eyes, he's there. When I close my eyes, he's there. I don't want to go a second without seeing him. There's so many more scriptures, but these two for me sum it up. I hope it does for you too. To walk in newness of life means a life of faith. Habakkuk 2 and 4, Behold his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. I live by faith. I had no doubt in my mind that when I went out and jumped in my car that I do not even have to put a key into the ignition anymore, that when I pushed that little button and put it in reverse, it was going to just start and I could back out and come to church tonight. I had faith. I have faith. I had no doubt that at the set time, Brother Richard was going to come in and make the coffee. I have faith. I have faith. I had, I, I have faith. I have faith that every day the sun's going to rise on the same side of the world and it's going to set tonight. I have faith. I have faith. Romans 1, well, I got ahead of myself. Romans 1.17, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Get that, from faith to faith. I had faith today, and tomorrow I'm going to go to faith again. And then the next time for faith. See, God will put things in my life. He doesn't just dump it all there at one time. I might have a cold today to prepare me for whatever comes tomorrow. I don't know what's coming tomorrow. But whatever God allows in my life today builds my faith for the faith I'm going to need tomorrow. And then that builds this amount of faith, and then, so faith to faith. 
face to face. We are told in these scriptures that the just, the righteous ones, the vindicated ones, the ones that are vindicated by God, shall live by faith. Faith. We're all given the measure. Not a measure, the measured. There's an amount that God knew that I needed to get started. It wasn't just a happen chance amount. It was the measure that Pam needed to get started. Now, I don't know if it's a cup of faith that everybody gets a cup to get started or if I needed a cup and then you only needed a quarter cup because you were had more going for you than I did. I don't know how God measures that out. I I don't know how it works. He's God. I'm not. But I got the measure to get me started. And then it's up to me. I have to add to that faith. Hebrews 10.38. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back. Oh, I started to get ahead of myself again. If any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. This scripture when I was studying for this lesson was a real surprise to me. Because I always thought that this meant the person that just totally turned their back and walked away from God. Did anybody else join me in that thought? Nobody's going to fess up. Okay, I'll just live in that camp by myself then. Okay, so I always thought that that draw back here meant that the one that just totally abandoned their faith and walked away from God. That's what I thought. Okay, I got a half of a nod from somebody. Good. I'll take comfort in that half of a nod. It helps me to go on then. So I took comfort in that. And I thought, oh, good. I'm I'm good to go. And I just kept reading and I moved on. Because I, since I became a born-again believer, I never just turned my back and walked away from God. I was good. But then I was studying for this lesson. Ooh, and don't you just love it when you get just kind of like smacked right upside the face with what you're studying? And it's like, ouch, or the cold water thrown in your face. And it's like, and I had to repent and say, oh, Jesus, please forgive me. Because the definition when I looked it up was one was of those who from timidity hesitate to avow what they believe. Ouch. Those who draw back. Those who are unwilling to utter from fear. To shrink from declaring, to conceal. Oops. So I had to pray and say, Jesus, please forgive me for the times that I didn't add enough faith to truth to my faith so that I could stand and vow the truth when the storms came in my life. Because, you know, storms come in our life and we don't just jump right up and say, I believe that God's going to heal me instantly. You know, it's like a month or a week or a day or whatever later, or we just don't jump right up and say, you know, Okay, I'm just in that camp by myself. But, you know, so perhaps we've all been a little bit guilty of that. 
So I learned from that that I need to add to my faith now so that then I don't draw back. So that I can live from faith to faith. I don't ever want to draw back. I want to be ready to stand and have that faith that'll just move the mountain. That'll avow, that will stand and say, yes, my God. You know that song that says, when you see your mountain, tell your mountain how big your God is. Your mountain may look big, but I'm I'm not doing very good with the words to that song. But my God is bigger than any mountain. And I need to be ready to tell the mountain how big my God is. So that, but that's what that word there means. Um, Hebrews 11 and 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. There's two parts of that scripture that have always just jumped out to me. The first thing is that I must believe that he is. And what is he? Sister um, Bell shared a song with me the other day. I don't listen to a lot of radio just because I don't. I, I just don't. But I have to believe that he is. He is everything. And this song is called He Says. And I have to believe that he is truth. If you've never heard the song, look it up and listen to it. But I have to believe that what he says is true um, and believe that I am loved and believe that I am strong and believe that when everything is falling apart around me, I have to have the faith to believe that I'm that he's holding me and that I belong. Did you ever just feel like you don't belong? <laughs> you just don't belong to anybody or anything and nobody cares and nobody loves you and nobody... I do. I belong to him. I have to believe that. I have to believe that the song was just was just a beautiful song. Um, It really I I really liked that song. Um, And then the other part of that was the, the part that jumped out to me is that he that diligently seek him. I can't be haphazard. My faith is only increased when I diligently seek him. Early will I seek thee. Early. Not just at 5 o'clock in the morning, but when the situation first happens, you're the first one I go to, God. I don't call 15 people and then think, oh yeah, I should really pray about this. I run to the doctor and then, oh yeah, that's right, I should have prayed. No, I'm going to pray first. Early will I seek thee. Um, I heard a saying a few weeks ago, um, and it just really struck me with walking in the newness of life. And it affects our faith. So that's why I put it in here is the... The devil cannot go into the waters of baptism with a person. But he will be waiting on the other side of the tank when you get out. 
Faith is what takes us into the waters of baptism. Truth is what's going to keep you once you come out. Your logic, your emotions are not going to keep you. Truth is what you stand on. Faith is what keeps you going. And you need to know the difference between condemnation and conviction. Because they come from two different sources. The enemy of your soul is going to be standing on the other side. And I point back here because that's where our baptismal tank is. But he's going to be standing on the other side of that tank waiting for you to bring condemnation to your soul. And I looked up the definitions for you. Condemnation is the expression of very strong disapproval. It's criticism. One of the definitions was damnation. It's the action of condemning someone to a punishment, a sentence. Conviction, on the other hand, is the formal declaration that someone is guilty of an offense. It's what is made by a decision of a judge or a jury. And yes, we were all guilty. However, the sentence has been paid. Jesus redeemed us. And he has washed us clean. So conviction also means a firmly held belief or opinion, a strong persuasion or belief, the state of being convinced, the state of being convinced of error or compelled to admit the truth. Condemnation comes from the enemy of your soul. To make you feel guilty. To sentence you. To bring damnation down upon you. After. After the price has already been paid. After the penalty has already been paid. Conviction will come from the Lord. To convince you of an error that you are now still doing in your life. To bring about a change to, if we backed up a few slides, to bring holiness into your life. To move you on to perfection. You need to know the difference. Condemnation brings guilt. Conviction brings change. Okay? Newness of life. It's a life of commitment. Commitment. Ooh, I think I told you a few weeks, last time I was up here. I had a guest in my home not too long ago, and within a day and a half visit, the C word came up probably ten times in conversation, or lack thereof, among people. There's such a lack of commitment. We change things that are important more than we change our shoes anymore. Really, people are so uncommitted. So uncommitted. Commitment is the state or quality of being dedicated to a cause. 
So we have two references. We are not going to read them all, the whole scripture, because they were long references or longer. And I think that you're pretty familiar. Most everybody is familiar with the stories. And besides that, you need some homework. Everybody needs homework from school. So go home and read Ruth 1, verses 15 through 18, and then 2 Corinthians 11, verses 24 through 29. But these are two stories of people that had commitment. The first one is the story of Ruth. And the second one is the story of Paul. They had, they both had commitment at great personal cost. Ruth left everything in commitment to her mother-in-law. She said, where you go, where you stay, I don't care who your people are. They're going to become my people. I'll even serve your God. And oh, by the way, where you die, I'm going to die. That's commitment. And then Paul. Read the story. He was whipped. He was beaten. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. He was out in the sea. He was in perils of all sorts. Robbers, heathens, seas. His own people turned on him. He was in the city, he was out of the city, he was lied on, he was cheated, he was hungry, he was thirsty, he was cold, he was naked. He needed to take care of the church during all of this stuff, yet he continued on in the faith. He said, none of it moved me. It snows and we stay home. I just thought I'd throw that in. It wasn't in my notes. I'm just saying. I mean, really, are we committed? I did leave country. I did leave family. I did leave home. However, I've never been beaten. I've never starved. Never been shipwrecked. I've never been naked. I've never been without heat in the winter. I have been slightly without air conditioning. I have had mold growing on my walls. Um, I still have my iPhone, my iPad, my Wi-Fi. You know, the conveniences of life. So what excuse do I have? You know, really. I don't walk. I've seen people in some countries walk one day, camp along the road, walk the next day to get to a four-day conference. And once they get there, they sleep on the dirt floor during the conference and eat two bowls of rice during the conference and then walk the two days to get back home again. Commitment. 
commitment. Dedicated to the cause. Is there not a cause? For Christ I live. What do you live for? What's the first thing that you think of in the morning when you wake up? What's the last thing that you think of when you go to, before you go to sleep at night? Commitment. Where he leads me, I will go. What he desires, I desire. His will is my will. His family is my family. You could spend your day with anybody. Who would it be? Who's your family? One thing have I desired, and that do I seek after. One thing. Everything else comes second. That's commitment. Walk in newness of life is a life of submission. Hebrews 13:17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable for you. Ephesians 5 verse 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Submission. This word has almost become a four-letter word in today's society. When we say it, people get the idea of a person being a doormat. They think that if you're in submission, someone uses you to wipe their feet on. Yet the opposite is true in the kingdom of God. Of course, most things in the kingdom of God are opposite of what the world thinks. In God's eyes, submission brings protection. Submission to me is like an umbrella. When we submit, we are respecting the God-given authority of that person. It is not that that person is more than you. Let me repeat myself. It is not that the person themselves is more than the other person. The position they hold in Christ is more than me. God has a pecking order. The same way as in the military. The military has a pecking order. I don't care who it is. If an officer walks in, an enlisted soldier jumps up and salutes him. Every military person that's, or every person that's been in the military would know that, right? Thank you. Somebody didn't leave them. And that's true too. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, sir. No, ma'am. It's inbred in you. For, for, it's just part of you. And there's a pecking order. The, the colonel is under the general. The captain is under the, it, there's an order. 
It's not that that person in and of themselves is anything more than that other person. The position. That's how it is with God. And if you do not learn to respect the position, you are headed for trouble. Big trouble. And your attitude is reflected by the way that you carry yourself and by the things that you do and the way you talk and the whole thing. Hebrews, oh, where did I go in my notes here? Oh, Hebrews 13, 17, the word obey translates, strive to please. It was interesting to me, too, that the word submission and submit in many of these scriptures is not, it's in there for our English help, but obey is there. So obey and and submission are synonymous with each other. So that's what we're talking about here. So when you say submit, you're talking about obedience. So obey translates to strive to please, gain one's good will, win one's favor, Make friends with, be persuaded, to believe, to listen to, comply with, and trust. Now, I need you to, I need to ask you a huge favor right now. Huge favor. Forget for the next page and a half that I'm your pastor's wife. Okay? I'm just up here teaching you this lesson. I am not your pastor's wife. I'm just the person teaching you this lesson. Because if I have to teach you this lesson as your pastor's wife, I cannot teach it to you the way that you need to be taught it. Okay? I'm teaching it to you because it's the word of God. Okay? Thank you. So when you obey, when you submit... Remember, let's go back. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Obey, for they watch for your souls. Who are they talking about here? Who watches for your soul? Thank you. And they that must give account... So strive to please. Strive to please your pastor. Gain your pastor's goodwill. Win your pastor's favor. Make friends with your pastor. Be persuaded with your pastor. Believe your pastor. Listen to your pastor. Comply with and trust your pastor. What's your pastor's favorite color?
what this, I'll just, you don't have to answer, just kind of think it in your mind. Where's his favorite restaurant? When's the last time you took your pastor out to eat? When's the last time you sent him a card? When's the last time you complimented him on the sermon? When's the last time that you, when's, When's the last time you sent him a text before he sent you a text? When's the last time you called him if you didn't need something? When's the last? That he may do it with joy. Like I said, forget that I'm your pastor's wife. Really, forget I'm your pastor's wife. Because these are the things that I have always done for my pastor. Always. When's the last time you mowed your pastor's lawn? When's the last time you shoveled this? Anything. 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 Submission, we'll move on. Submission requires trust. A wife will not be in submission to her husband if she doesn't trust her husband. Submission requires trust. I fully trust God so I can fully submit to God. I have no trouble. I fully trust my husband so I can fully submit to my husband. I fully trust my pastor so I can fully submit to my pastor. Both the pastor that stands here and my pastor that's in Oklahoma. So I have no trouble. Yet the opposite is sadly true. If I do not know, if I do not know my husband, if I do not know my pastor. I can't trust them. I can't trust someone that I don't know. If I do not know my God intimately, I can't trust him. If I don't know that he's as close as the mention of his name, if I do not know that he is always with me, if I do not know, I can't trust him. And then I remove the protection and I remove the blessing. I'm only going to hold the umbrella up if I know that it's going to protect me from the rain. Otherwise, I'm going to leave it in the car. Why am I going to carry an umbrella around if I don't know it's going to protect me? Submission is so important. And we don't hear it taught enough. And the reason that we probably don't hear it taught enough is because most pastors are not going to stand up and tell you Please me. Get on my good side. Well, I love you enough to tell you that. Because without it, you can't have the blessing of God in your life. Obey them that have the rule over you. They watch for your soul. Don't wait until you've already made your mind up to go talk to your pastor. Pray 
Go talk to your pastor and then make decisions. Well, pastor, I'm going to. Okay, great. Hope that works out for you. I mean, what's he supposed to say? You're over 21. Do what you want. Not like he can put you on restriction. Your pastor watches for your soul, and he will have to give an account for you one day. Please let him do it with joy. We'll move on. A life of servanthood. See, I really like all these topics. I'll try to move on. Okay, Luke 17. These we're just going to reference too. 7 and seven through 10, and John 13, verses 1 through 17. We are called to serve. The first one of this, of the, of this scripture reference is Luke 17, verses 7 through 10. And it's about the plowing of the field, and you say unto him, you can read it when you get home. We don't have time to read the whole thing. But it ends with, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty. It talks about the master. They're done working the field and they do all the work. And then they come back and the master says, serve us. That's their job. And they're going to think that they did something extra? No, that's what they were supposed to do. And then John 13, 1 through 17, is about the master serving the disciples, Jesus washing their feet. Okay, so here we have two examples of servanthood. That of the servant doing his duty and serving the master, and then the second one of the master serving his disciples by washing their feet. In this new new life, like I've already said, things get turned around. We are called to serve, not be served. The, quote, higher we go, the more we serve. When you first come in, when you are first born again, you get weighted on hand and foot. The longer you're in, the more you serve, the more you do. We are apostolic, and Jesus is our example. He served. In Okinawa, our pastor used to love it. We, we put that church, quote, produced, had more young men come out and enter into the ministry than any church I've ever seen. And Brother Dennis loved it. Young men would come there and they'd say, oh, I feel a call to the ministry. And he'd say, oh, praise the Lord. And the first thing he'd do is hand them the toilet brush. And then they'd graduate from there to the lawn mowing. And then toddler Sunday school and then beginner Sunday school and then work their way on up. Maybe in a year and a half they'd make it into the pulpit in the main sanctuary. We're called to be servants. Again, we are unprofitable servants if we don't do in the kingdom. If you are not doing in the kingdom... You're not walking in the newness of life. Doing something. 
doing, 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 doing. Everybody should be doing. There's work to do. And it's not with the, oh, I guess so. Sure, no problem. I guess I could do that. I suppose so. We serve with joy. If you're not happy, my great niece asked my mom one time. My mom was in kind of a grumbly mood and she kind of snapped at Alexis that day and my great niece was about three and a half years old and she looked at her and she said, Grandma Eleanor, are you not happy in life? That's what she asked her. Well, this scripture just jumped out at me. John 13, 17 says, If ye know these things, happy are ye if you do them. If you're not happy, you're not doing enough for the kingdom of God. Get with pastor and get busy. Oh, I had a whole bunch of stuff there I didn't show you. Okay, the newness of life is a giving life. Your note said Luke 8.38. It's actually Luke 6.38. Read Luke 8.38 on your own and you hope you laugh as much as I did. Um, Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, shall it be measured to you again. I like that scripture. The more you give, the more God gives back to you. Woo! I told you Sunday, you can't outgive God. It's fun just to give sometime to see what he's going to do. And then John 3.16. This is another one that just jumps out at me. For God so loved that he gave. You can't love and not give. Oh, I love then why aren't you giving? God has placed the law of sowing and reaping into place. It's a law. And God does not lie. Now you know where I'm going. Let's just go there and get it over with. Because I like the word. And I like the law. I think that if we had the law, just in the letter of the law, I'm so glad I didn't live in the Old Testament. Oh, I would have gotten so confused as to when to bring a dove and when to bring a bull and when to... Uh. But I do like rules. I just brought, brought them all and said, figure it out, priest. <laughs> but I do like, I mean, I like the word of God. And I like it that it's so clear cut. I mean, it's very clear. God doesn't lie to us. It's very straightforward. Malachi 3, 8 through 11. Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. And then you say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Notice here. It doesn't just say in tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me. 
even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house and prove me now. Just let me show you. Put me to the test. Herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there will not be room enough to receive it. Go back to the top of the page on my notes. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. He's going to open up the windows and pour out a blessing that you can't even contain. God's math doesn't make sense. How can 90% go further than 100 And then you give your offerings. So then how does, I don't know, 80 or 70 go further than 100 It shouldn't, but it does. It's amazing. But then it goes beyond that. It's not just monetary. Read verse 11. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. And he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. And neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field. I get excited to think of all the blessings that come to my life just because I tithe and I give offerings. I don't know how many semis have not smashed into my car because I give tithes and offerings. I don't know how many cancer cells have been eradicated from my body because I give tithes and offerings. I don't know how many colds I have not caught. I don't know how... I don't know. I don't know how many of my... I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how much peace that passes all understanding is still mine because I pay tithes and offerings. I do know that I am not cursed with a curse because it says so right there. I do know that. I do know that. That much I know. Give, and it shall be given. The newness of life is a life of giving. I got so excited when I saw that Christmas tree back there start filling up with ornaments. If you have not put your ornaments on the tree back there and you made a pledge on Sunday, you're supposed to put them on now when you made the pledge. Don't wait till you pay it. Yeah, 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 please put them on now because I want to take a picture and send it to Tupelo. And if you weren't here Sunday and you want information, let me know. Okay, so a newness of life, we're almost there, is a life of compassion. (sighs) A life of compassion, Jude 22. And of some have compassion. Making a difference. Compassion 
is defined as sympathetic pity and concern for sufferings or misfortunes of others. Our compassion, your compassion, makes a difference. The giving of a smile to someone, the speaking of a kind word, a simple act of kindness, showing compassion in a world that is without compassion, makes a difference. Stopping to let someone cross the street. It amazes me the lack of compassion in our world. It amazes me. I see handicapped people that people just barge in front of. I see elderly people standing while young, fit people are sitting. I see women standing and men are sitting. God forbid. Compassion. A kind word. Exodus 2 and 6. The compassion of Pharaoh's daughter made a difference for the Hebrew child who ended up leading them, Moses, leading them all out of slavery and bondage. Luke 10 30 through 37, the compassion of the good Samaritan, as the story has been come to know, be known. Jesus ended this story by saying, go and do likewise. True compassion is doing something, giving something, when you have nothing to gain. That's when you have true compassion. We must show compassion in order to make a difference in people's lives. The world we live in today is as cold and it's as less caring as it has ever been. It's so easy to show people compassion. In Acts 28.2, even those people, they're called barbarous people, showed compassion and lit a fire. For those that were shipwrecked, we have the Holy Ghost. How much more should we be showing and can we be showing compassion to others? It's compassion that's putting ornaments on that tree for children that don't have a home with their biological moms and dads. That's compassion. Do you know that we are more, we are more than triple of what we have, what we sent last year? More than triple. I tell people all the time that Calvary Apostolic Church may be small in number, but we're big in spirit. Compassion. And I pray 
that when I stand up and I teach, I have a passion about the Word of God. And when I teach with passion, I pray that you know it's because you have so much. You love the Lord so much. And God wants to use you to reach this city. He's taken this church and he's building a foundation with this church. And he wants to take the compassion and the foundation and the faith that you have to reach the people. It's through the love that's in us that flows out that people will see him. It's when we walk in the newness of life. Jesus came to give us life and that more abundant. It's a life of the Holy Ghost vitality, vigor, and energy. And when we walk in that newness of life, we will make an impact on our city. We have a resurrection living within us. And that's what the world wants to see. And it starts with us. God bless you. We will see everybody Sunday, 9 o'clock prayer. Please be here for prayer. We set the service. The atmosphere.